From beyond the farthest reaches of our galaxy they come. Two brains pulsing with a strange energy. These space brains come to share their love of science fiction movies. And welcome to Space Brains, the show where we joy watch sci-fi movies and then talk about what was good and what was great. I'm Sari, and this is Mark. Hiya, Sari, and everyone that's out there listening. Tonight we are talking about District 9. It came out in 2009. And again, like our last episode, Brother from Another Planet, we got to watch this thanks to the Little Planet Science Fiction Festival. Uh, which is something that's put together by Sean David Burke. It was our second year that we were invited to this great little informative, cute, community-styled science fiction festival. I love it. It's a good fun. And, yeah, I was, I was really happy to be invited back. I mean, that we were, we were obviously good guests the first time. Sorry. It was great. How many other times do you get to watch movies with a bunch of people in beanbags while eating apple crumble? I don't know. It's a good combination. The food, the people, the movies. I like it. Uh, District 9 was directed by Neil Blomkamp, I believe is how you say his name, in his feature film debut. And it was also written by himself and Terry Tatchell. It was based on a short film that Neil had created previously. And, of course, it was, which a lot of people know, this was kind of handpicked by Peter Jackson. And I know he put his own money and backing behind this idea. Well, Peter um, Jackson wanted Neil to do another movie originally. Yeah. But I, I, now, that, of course, the name of that slips me. Sure. But Peter had basically said, hey, Neil, you're really cool. Yeah, I like I'm that. I'm going to get you this movie. And then the, the studio pulled out and said, no, we don't really want to. Mm. So Peter Jackson went, Oh, that's okay. Let's just do this other one, which was District Nine. Yes. And I'll bankroll it because yeah, I'm suddenly very successful, Mister. Yes, of course. We're talking about the one and only Peter Jackson, Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, etc., and his producing partner as well, Caroline Cunningham, who has basically produced a huge amount of those Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, um, those Lovely Bones, you know, a lot of those Peter Jackson films. So, yeah, it's pretty cool to be given a little tap on the shoulder if you're a up-and-coming filmmaker by Peter Jackson. I mean, come on. Oh, yeah, and you got access to great science fiction special effects. Yeah, through film. Jackson's Weather Company, um, which is a special effects company, well-known well now, um, all behind the Lord of the Rings films and based there in New Zealand. So turn back now, if you haven't seen this film and go watch it. It's really well worth it because it's your spoiler warning. 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 <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Double gonna, warning. We're going to talk all about it. We are. And let's start with a little quick synopsis. Basically, District 9, uh, it starts with an alien spaceship which breaks down above Johannesburg or Jayberg, as they like to call it. And when humans open up the spaceship, there's these prawn-like alien creatures that don't seem very intelligent 
and the humans decide to ferry them down and create like a, a home for them, which is very camp styled. And it's pretty obvious, uh, even as an outsider to South African culture like myself, that there's kind of a bit of a nod to the slums and the apartheid situation straight away. Um, but the film goes off from there and it kind of over the years that this District 9 exists, uh, things break down into gangs, violence, drugs, um, bestiality, I think. <laughs> As you, wait, is that what you would call it with aliens? Yeah, I think so. Xeniality? Xenosexuality? Um, yeah. Maybe. Zen- I don't know. Yeah, so there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. Of course, the local South Africans are not happy. There's riots. There's kind of disputes. Um, and we get to a point where the government decides to shift them out to a nicer new tent city much further away from Joburg. Many miles away. Many miles away. And again, nod to kind of racist acts like this, maybe like the Holocaust or something, uh, where we shift people off to the middle of nowhere so they're out of mind, out of sight. That's basically the premise or of the like story. Or like maybe an island encampment where doctors aren't allowed to talk about what's going on there and they don't have access to lawyers and stuff, you know? I don't know what you're talking about. I, what country are you talking about? Doing that I don't know. I, I, I know nothing Legally, about I'm not allowed to talk about it, so... <laughs> yes, that's, that's what we've done here in Australia. Well, just one of the things we've done here in Australia to do that similar to this. Um, but this is an Australian story here, okay? Come on. Yeah. So when the multinational company are sent in to shift the camp uh, residents, the aliens, off to another part of uh, South Africa. We have this key character called Wickus, and he's overseeing this shift of the prawns, as they like to call them, to this, uh, you know, further outfielded tent city. Uh, he discovers the power of an alien technology, sprays it all over himself, and then starts to become very much like a prawn and then therefore is hunted by the multinational company. Yes, indeed. And that's all I'll say at that Maybe point. he's like a scampy or something. <laughs> he might be. Uh, so we'll get into some more details about that. So the premise of this film is, I found it a bit hard to put down in words, you know, and it was, um, I, I hope you've come up with a really cray-cray... Oh, look, I've got an alternative tagline. alternative tagline. Uh, we'll come back to that maybe, or do you want to go for no, it? No, let's go to the my number one takeaway, because that's... It's important to do that one before my tagline. What is your number my one number, takeaway? My number one takeaway from District 9 is that aliens, like humans, consist of a great number of slobs and a small selection of hard-working computer specialists. Hmm. <laughs> very, very astute there. Some might say biased. I was going to say very biased. Extremely biased. You're calling me biased. I am. You know, I, I am you doing the best. Do the, the very best I can do for you. I got you... Got your cat food and everything. I know. Where's my cat food? I get paid nothing around here. I wouldn't mind getting paid in cat food. Okay, so how about you? Is this hope, warning, or an experiment? It is an experiment, I would say, because it's literally a symbolic fable tale of what we do as the human race. Like you were just implying, here in Australia, we have an island that we detain refugees at and the media are not allowed there and the doctors aren't allowed to speak out. This film is giving nod to the apartheid. It's also giving nod to kind of that, you know, that... Guantanamo Bay. Guantanamo Bay, the Holocaust, uh, and just really any race 
related wars or the way we do treat refugees in that way of you're an outsider so we hunt hunt you and treat you with such disdain well they use the same language of you know they they bring their problems here they do this they do that you kind of yeah i don't know as if as if we didn't have problems anyway like the same ones and exactly right right and it's it's a it's a really clever story this one because i i feel like it's almost like an old uh, brother's grim tale you know mm. in that in, and it's in the modern era or maybe you know, freaky friday maybe freaky friday maybe you know um yeah, no, it's just gonna when be... Lindsay Lohan pops the champagne and gets sprayed in the face and then she's like unconscious in the gutter and oh, poor Lindsay, she had a hard time. Is that Wickers here? <laughs> Haven't have yes, she he he went Same problem another day. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, so I just feel like it's such a clever modern day fable in a way. It's so obvious the symbolism, but then the story holds its holds its own. Yeah, so you don't you don't get a really strong preaching vibe here because they're not no. telling us what we should do no. no they're just sort of presenting okay here it is the way it it sort of is and here's how it might play out yeah. with like outer space aliens not yeah. just not internationally yeah not 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 just yeah uh you know another race from another country that's seeking because it's even it's even easier i think to dehumanize things that aren't human because on, on one hand you, you get some yeah refugees coming into your country escaping from a, a bad regime or warfare or whatever, there's going to be a lot of sympathy for that. Yeah. Even th- there will be fear and concern, but there will also be a lot of sympathy. But when you're talking here, we've got that's real alien aliens. Like they they don't look human. They've got these extra little funny arm thingos and they have clicky mouth parts and they're exoskeletonous and they, they clearly don't behave in the same way, you know, they don't walk, they don't move, they don't talk or smell or look like humans at all. And it's it's funny because it's, it's like they're physically stronger, but maybe not as clever. Uh, but then again, you also wonder, and the film doesn't answer this, it's like, did they just surrender to us because they needed help? Like, is that what they needed? Yeah, and they would have been more friendly. It's sort of indicated... And again, this kind of, this is a connotation to stuff that's happened in our history as the human race that you know instead of reaching a helping hand to a fellow man, you're like you're like, oh, hey, man, you're different, hey, man. You know, like, well, it's like, always that case. You, you treat a person like an animal; they behave like an animal. That's right. Yeah, and, and that's and that's been seen all the time. You get these, uh, and it's used then as a self fulfilling prophecy where people would look at slums and say, oh, all they know is you know yeah. violence and crime. That's their way of life and yeah. Uh, and and you think well they're humans or in this case they're intelligent creatures that lived and work with technology advanced technology they're not idiots you know they are clearly sentient capable of of speech and thought yeah you know they've built these little shanty shacks and things um so that they're not they're not animals and even if they were they'd probably get treated better if they were animals in fact <laughs> uh, so it is. Yeah, I think very much an experiment in that case. You could sort of start saying it's like a, a bit of hope, but it's not really, is no, it? Because I don't think so. I, I, humanity yeah. doesn't learn or grow from this. No. Uh, you could say Vickers does. Yeah, he does. But he's kind of forced into it. He doesn't get that choice. No. Not until the very end. You know, right that, at the finally end. Finally makes that decision at the end. That's the right decision, you know. So, I mean, this is... 
I, I feel it's an experiment. If you think about it, it's holding the mirror up to ourselves and the way we do treat refugees, immigrants, or race relations, you know, at the war level, you know, in many, many countries. And there's not one single, you know, part of the human race that hasn't sort of done this. Certain races have definitely done it worse than others, but we've all done it and we're all guilty of it. So it's a good film showing us a mirror onto ourselves and the, the myth part or the, the symbol part is, well, they're aliens, you know, and um, instead of being a different type of human or, or whatever. Was this the first time you'd seen District 9, sorry? No, I think this is my third or fourth time. Yeah. And what was it like? Do you remember what it was like when you first saw it? Yes, I... A few things. One, it was... It's quite gross, this film. Like, it's it's very visceral. It's sweaty. Yeah. It's grimy. Yeah. The slums, uh, it's all filmed in this sort of hard, light digital yeah. high definition because it is partially a documentary style or there's some yeah. found footage type stuff going on and yeah i remember feeling you know the only way i would have been able to feel a bit more greasy and and yucky was if bruce willis was in it <laughs> yeah. yeah that's because that's that's bruce willis's trademark is the yeah. unwashed possibly hungover you know yeah i mean that's po- what he does isn't it yeah that that's what he does is yeah yeah, Die Hard, The Last Boy Scout. Yeah. Even surrogates that we watched. It's yeah. it all ends always like it always it. ends up in that sort of style, doesn't it? At some point that he's hung over or whatever. I mean it's interesting, isn't it? Now in hindsight you look at um Neil Blancamp, like or Blancamp, sorry, like he obviously has this vibe because it's happened in his other films, Chappie and Elysium and this one are, the, are sort of the ones I've seen of his um, and he's got, there's a new, the trailer's dropped. It's based on a video game. His, his latest one's coming out. Um, I don't know, it's just skipped my mind, the name. But, you know, like, there's this kind of, like, the weaponry, the setting, the, the characters are kind of all, they're all a bit rough, aren't they? They're all, like, there is a roughness to it that's, that's there, isn't it? Anthem, that's the one. That's the one that's coming out. I can't believe Wikipedia doesn't have his upcoming. Yeah, no, it's there on Anthem. Oh, Anthem. Yeah, Conviction. Oh, it was 2019. Yeah. Oh, look at that. It's more like robot-y thing. Yeah. So it is an actual game. It's not a movie, but he's he's behind it, right? Oh, well, I, I, as soon as I get my next gaming PC, after I built my house, I'll be getting a hold of that. Um, but you can really see these these, in his films, a bit of a theme going on. Like, everything's a bit... I don't want to say half-assed, but it's all like it's rough, isn't it? It's all uh, it's crude. It's it's there's bits missing. There's bits added on. It's it's kind of it's not all like per, to perfection, you know. No. And so in this film, in District Nine, it's more the aliens that are half perfect, and their technology is all a bit rugged and rough, and it crosses the boundaries, probably versus the multinational company that are more you know slick and sophisticated. And even like you're saying, like greasy and grimy and feeling sick, like Wickers, as he changes, it's all kind of, you know, veins are popping Oh, he looks and, gross, isn't know, he? The, alien, the brawny alien bit comes through bits. When he, you know, and even before that, when he goes to birth, he vomits all over the birthday card. Oh, and squishes it down. And then tries to scoop it up. <laughs> so like, oh you know, and he's so sick, you know. Like, I always love in films when a, cat, a key character is so, like that sick, you know. Like it's, it's so uncomfortable, isn't it? Uh, it reminds me of how I met my wife. Yeah, okay. All right, well, there you go. Little secret story you'll have to tell us later. Birthday cake. 
We had birthday cake. Vomiting the birthday cake and you ate it? No, no vomiting birthday cake. <laughs> For me, this is like, yeah, my third or fourth time. I remember watching this the first time and it kind of, the trickery of it being a mockumentary, documentary style mixed in with these really clever special effects, it was very much like, oh, wow, what the hell am I watching? You know, like it really manipulated me just to just straight off go, that's an amazing film. Like you just, it blows your socks off that first time. And I, I, went, I went back, I actually screened it with some of my students a couple of times and watching it sort of second, third, fourth time, especially in that analytical environment, it, it started to feel like, well, hang on, halfway through it drops away the dropped footage and starts becoming more fictional. You know, and I kind of started to think, oh, well, is there is that problematic? Has he not sort of stayed with the style enough? Because it kind of comes back around at parts as you head into that final act. Mm. But really in the final act, there's a lot of the fight scene and all that happens. We see it, but earlier in the film, we only saw stuff through found footage or newsreels or interviews. So it kind of became like, hang on, why is it now? Why, how are we now there? You know, because that's always the question. I, I said that. I, I just want to say the, the final little bit there is, but, but when we watched it this time, yeah, I kind of felt like the vibe of it all, because it has been a few years now since I've seen it, I felt like the vibe that he was going for, it's always about the vibe, the vibe that he was going for carries through the whole film. Mm. So it kind of, I don't know, I was more forgiving, I think, now watching it again. So it was like, first time I watched it, blown away. Second, third, fourth time going, oh, okay, well, hang on. Let's have this. But then now this time I was just like, no, I get it. I get the the the. I don't want to say humor, but the tone, the tone. That's the word. Yeah. The tone of it stays consistent throughout, even though the style kind of changes a bit. Well, I found the interesting point is it was hard to determine at what point it stopped being because it starts off very much um, like interviews. You don't know it at the time, but they're interviews after the event. Yeah, they are. After the whole movie, we've got these bits, and we're sort of getting a reconstruction of like it's like the story so far. Yeah. But it's really hard when you're just watching the film to find what point does it stop being that. Yeah. And start being a you know traditional multi-camera sort of arrangement. Yeah. Yeah. And and with different shots and and like I said, it's it stops being. Um, a literal camera and starts just being a view to the world. And it's hard to pick the point where it crosses over. I mean, it must obviously happen after he gets sprayed and he heads on home. Mm. But, yeah, it's, I, th- I thought it was quite well blended because yeah. it's, it's a difficult thing. Sometimes movies, they try to stay 100% found footage and some yeah. go, you know, try to incorporate some bits of stock footage yeah. type of thing. It is. I think it would be a, quite a hard thing to do. And, uh, yeah, it's hard to pick the point. Well, the, over. the one problem you've got with found footage is if you try to do it for the whole story, like really try to just do it the whole time, that means that's the only camera angle you've got. And for a film, that's really hard, you know, like because you're – and it also means you can never – for example, if the good guy's on the run and that's where the camera is, if it was a GoPro attached to his shoulder or whatever, right, you can never then see what the bad guys are up to, mm. you know, because you just can't, because how could you? Because they would also need a camera that you've also got access to that footage, you know. So that's why the Blair Witch was so clever in that three filmmakers, they've got a camera on each other, 
Yes. And so you can actually cut from one camera to the next. And that's where I've seen it done. There's an Australian film called, it's a horror film called The, the Tunnel, Tunnel, yeah. which is set in an abandoned tunnel in Sydney, like train tunnel that was, uh, I don't know, World War Two, and it was turned to a bunker and then it was like, Never, never connected to the, never connected to the rest of the line, and it's sort of partially filled with water. Yeah, uh, it's quite a spooky sort of place, basically. And in that, it was a news crew, so they had one main camera. Yeah, but then they had someone with uh, like a handy cam doing. Mm-hmm. They, they were checking shots and scenes and things like that, sort of filming bits, going, uh, looking around, looking around, and they'd stop and go, okay, set the camera up here. This would be a good spot for the yeah. set piece where we're going to have a talk to the camera. So you did get the two, yeah, two bits. Yeah. And at some point, of course, the handicam had the eye infrared, you know, night vision. So when all the lights went out, this is the only way they could see, yeah. which, of course, meant that the monster coming in, you could only see its glowing eyes, you know, and barely figure out what it looked like and things, which is a great effect. Yeah. So sorry, what was your log line? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, there we go. The alternate, oh, how else might one describe this film? District 9. A software engineer must deal with an obnoxious government bureaucrat so he can finally finish his work and go home. <laughs> is he a software engineer? In my mind, he is. <laughs> I don't think he is, is he? Well, all the rest of the slobs, and he's a computer specialist, so he must oh, be a software okay. engineer. So you can see you can see where I was going with this. Okay. Yesterday I spent a long time in traffic, and I just wanted to go home. Yes, and so I felt a bit like so every long. I felt a bit like that alien. If yeah, like I felt like a refugee. I really felt like a refugee here. Like I think I know what they were going through. My air conditioning had to blast so hard to keep me cool because it was so hot outside, and I just finished off the last of my drink, and I still had another twenty minutes to go before I got home. It was hard. Very hard. No, but in all seriousness, it did take me two and a half hours to get home, which, which is a very long time. Is a very long time when you're just talking about going through the suburbs. Of <laughs> After being in IKEA, so <laughs> there you go. We all know that. First world problems. There. Very first world, probably point five world. <laughs> I mean, uh, yes, well, okay, so that's nice. And tell me, Mark, though, what's some science fiction that really got your brain going on this little? I love the alien weaponry in this I reckon it was pretty cool sort of mentioned before the roughage of it but didn't talk about how the aliens weaponry only worked for the aliens because it was kind of like biologically attached to them you know you had to have the biology of the prawn and that's why it's been such a great payoff that Wickus is as he's transforming can fire the weapon. Uh, wasn't that, that the really <laughs> like, clever bit about it? I was thinking about this. Like, it's such is a great idea. We get, first of all, we get, he gets the bit of a viewpoint of, you know, the discrimination. Mm. But then it turns out, okay, this pushes the plot forward because now he can operate the weaponry, yeah. which becomes of particular interest because the government yeah. has not been able, no, no, this private body, no one has been able to operate it. Yeah. He can, and they get a hold of him. And you add on to that, now he can help the other alien do his thing. You know, it, it all continues to pull the whole thing through. It wasn't yes. just a, a convenience. It, no, it, it, it wasn't all, just a show-off thing. It was actually... It all, it all flowed through very nicely. It's very strong. You notice that, that like the humans realising that he can do it. We have that line, quite, quite a long scene of him trying to, like, they're testing all those yeah. things and he shoots a pig and then, he sh- and then he wants to shoot a prawn and he's, like, screaming, don't do it. And the scientist is like, right, I'm going to zap you. 
to make you fire. It's like quite a painful long scene, isn't it? Oh, know? and he's looking sweaty and yeah, wobbly. And, and, he's, and he's only half a human, half a prawn. And um, and and it's funny because he, he kind of like doesn't want to do it anymore. And they're like doing it. And then at the end of all, they're like, oh, you know, it's the first time this has happened. We're going to have to take every inch of his body and dissect yeah. it. <laughs> and the multinational corporation guys are just like, yeah, just do it. So oh, yeah, okay. It's worth billions of dollars. Sure. You know, like. I just love that. And then the irony is that then later in the film, he can then help the prawns actually escape. And they don't want the same thing from him, right? So it's like humans are bad, prawns are good. And I'd say the same. I wouldn't put, want to put you on a barbecue and eat you. No. Prawns, yeah. Even though prawns are covered in a lot of sulfites, unfortunately. It just sort of sucks. Yeah. I had prawns tonight, actually. Did you? Yeah. They're delicious. You'll have the sulfites problem. Not a problem for me. It's a problem for other people. <laughs> problem for me, unfortunately. Um, but no, I have. I really haven't had prawns since I found out. What was your favourite scene? Sorry. Uh, Apart from prawns on the barbie. Oh, there are so many favourite scenes here, but I. The rule is we have to kind of pick one. Yeah, one. Come on. The final fight. I do want to scene, go home at some point. The final fight scene. <laughs> it's just. It's a great payoff, as you said. His, there's all the the discrimination set up at the start, and then the running and fleeing in the middle where people are trying to get him. And then towards the end, we get this payoff where everyone's trying to stop this uh, engineer from returning to the ship yeah. uh, for different reasons, but mainly to get the technology and also out of fear. That, like, they see him heading up to the ship and they go, don't let him get up yeah, there. Yeah, don't let him go up there. Probably because they're feeling a bit guilty. They're going, well, hang on, if he can get up there and control that ship, what's he going to do to us? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like... Oh, well, maybe you should have treated them better to start with. <laughs> oh, crap. He, can, he might be able to deny it. Yeah, okay. So, but but all of that is sort of builds up this tension. And then Wickus gets a hold of some of the weapons and in that armored suit. Yeah. And there's just this so cool. really cool fight scene that they shoot the RPG at the ship and he catches the, the rocket. and it, <laughs> But it blows up and damages his arm. And he's shooting stuff and keeps blowing people away and gets damaged. Oh, it's, it's wonderful. And as you said, it's. it's Jacked into his head, yeah, so sort he of thing. Feels pain when he when it does, and go up he's him. struggling and, and working hard on these things. It's not like Iron Man, who's just yeah. kind of calmly and sedately in his llama suit. This, this, um, it was just it was just a wonderful action sequence that sort of sprawled through a junkyard with, you know, what were they Nigerian, Nigerian gangsters Nigerian. being blown up, um, mercenaries from the MUN or the MNU, yeah, multinational yeah, unity or whatever it's here. Uh, it was just, yeah, it was just fantastic that it felt really effective. Mm. It uh, it reminded me of the aliens, yeah, big fight scene towards oh, the end there, time, where yeah. where there's like everything felt effective. Yeah, and I hate these fight scenes that are like I always like them to the A team. Yeah, if you remember, oh, this is going back to the eighties, the A team, and it happens in a lot of shows going forward, which are PG. Yeah, yeah, they would. Build you know a tank out of a you know trash can and a helicopter engine or something stupid, and they'd rumble on into the bad guys and there'd be machine guns, but it would just like blow up little bits of the ground and make sparks on things. No one gets hit. They would all end up then in a fist fight. Yeah. You know, Bia Brackus would pick someone up and chuck them over, and you know it. It just felt so ineffectual. Like I always felt like oh. Uh, same with He-Man, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, all that same time period where these people have lethal weaponry, but they just they don't use them. Right. He-Man like would deflect a boulder and 
you know, smash a tree or something. And you're like, why do you have a huge sword <laughs> if you're not going to use it? You're never going to use it. Yeah. So, but this movie, this movie delivers. He has this, these guns which explode people, mm-hmm. and he does. He explodes multiple people, and there's just blood spray. Like they just become a mist of blood. Yeah. And you feel. <laughs> I mean, you take joy in their death, which is a terrible thing to say, of course. But it is that payoff because you, you've had that build-up and then you have this release of explosions and shooting and it's it's all effective, yeah. you know. And the people fighting back, you know, they do manage to blow off a hand and you can really tell that, yeah, his armor suit is quite powerful, but it's weakening. It's yeah. going down and, and he's, he's getting damaged. He's feeling it. He's struggling. So it's a great sort of balancing act there. Which finally pays off with the near death and mm. um, yeah, so that that really I just loved it. It was great for that reason. It's it's great that in a couple of things that you're exactly right that each beat, like each problem that he's faced with in that action sequence. So it's like, oh, but you know, you're going to turn me back. You're going to turn me back. You, oh, it's going to take three years. So he has to make a decision. Oh, no, screw you. I'm going to take off on the ship myself punches Christopher the prawn out, which is ridiculously stupid in a way, but he's making that as his executive decision. Meanwhile, the multinationals are kind of like hounding down and starting, but, but he takes off in the mothership more powerful than anything else, but he can't freaking fly it, can he? So no. he just like basically crash lands, it, which is worse now. And then he's, so he's hurt Christopher, the multinationals on his tail. So they go to the Nigerians, the Nigerians like tackle him and pull him up. But then the multinational Nigerians have to have a fight. And then, you know, just when he's going to get to that point where that, you know, that sadistic Nigerian is going to, like, eat him or something, you know, eat his arm and chop it off, uh, the biological alien suit comes alive. So he gets involved in that. And then it's like, okay, well, now I've got a bit, he's got, now he's got power again. You know, it kept, like, is that real yeah, to and throwing, isn't it? An and he'd blow like, away some like, people and then he'd yeah. catch the missile and blow his hand off and then someone would shoot a machine gun to his back and it would... Yeah hit something which would start sparking, he'd limp yeah. and have to use one arm to crawl. It's great. Yeah, so it's just such a great example of like escalating constantly, like making a decision. It's not the best decision in the moment, but then like escalates the drama in another mm. way. Yeah. But that suit as well, I mean, how much of a homage to the alien. We all love those aliens. Yeah, no, it's a power loader. But it's, it's also a bit of a, you know, Japanese sort of mangary anime yeah. sort of uh, power suit thing that's... I guess you know Pacific Rim took that to the yeah, to like the Power Trans- Rangers sort of level. Yeah, yeah it's and, yeah, ev- and everyone that, does. Uh, everyone loves a bit of a power suit that that does stuff. Avatar did it. Yeah, they had the, the things. Yeah, things the Matrix had the, these yeah. sort of lumpy things. Yeah, it's cool, wasn't it? I mean, but we all love that because it's kind of like making a human much bigger. Yes, <laughs> and louder. <laughs> we do like loud humans. Are you doing anything science fiction related or narrative story? You've been telling us about your TV series that Netflix is picking up. Uh, yeah, Netflix is, is going to pick it up probably, probably next phone. year, the end of this year, maybe yeah, next okay. year. Okay. But uh, I've started watching The Mandalorian because yeah. apparently I have to. That's a great little sci-fi Western movie. Very much a Western series. I don't know. Have you seen it? No. Okay. okay. Well, well, I, it I is. It's... It's a uh, yeah yeah it's a, it's a Western film series but with space it's great. Um, what else? Uh, there's, okay, so my writing group, uh, which I don't think I've told him was listening, but I'm I'm starting a writing group down here in Mandra because 
Uh, it's always fun to write with other people. That's looking. That's going to come along. I'm waiting till school holidays are over because uh, it's hard to get everyone organised when they're all looking after kids and trying to get them off. You know, sorted out. Like we've got Elliot's been going to golf camp now. My little son. Uh, the other week, my daughter was going to surfing camp. You know, sort of thing. And uh, I I've been doing kitchen building camp which, <laughs> which has just been horrendous so yeah it'll, it'll be it'll be the school holiday is going to end uh, and then we'll get this uh so every other week we record with space brains the off weeks i'll be heading over probably to the local library yep uh, they'll probably sponsor this sort of thing and um hopefully find some dynamic and exciting mandra peeps to write with and to talk about Writing, so that'll be any sort of writing. It's I'm not going to say it has to be science fiction. It could be you know, screenplays. It could be poetry. It could be journals, letters, master's thesis, whatever. Yeah, sounds good. Ode, ode to the mullet. <laughs> we are a mandra. You've got to make sure you advertise in that mandra film network group. Uh, yeah, yeah, because yeah. there's there's a number of uh, writers in there who are who are keen to go. Yeah, so that's. That's where we're moving to. Got to get more creativity, get going, and uh, see where we end up with that. Mm, yeah. Yes. And yourself, what have what you been up to? Well, it was good today. Got uh, announced another festival called The Memory. Oh, that's nice. cool. Um, so that's very exciting. That's, I think that's uh, five that's been selected in, plus one award, and about, I think it's about eight or nine no's. Um, out of the total of twenty entries, so yes, yeah, a few film festivals. Not, not too, not too bad. Um, and they're the festivals that are I felt were appropriate for the memory. We've talked about this before, being a psychological thriller, adult themes and stuff. There is definitely a lot of festivals that are, you know, families in a park. Then this isn't the type of movie for them. Um, but that that's really been a great learning experience. Unless maybe the Manson family? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, you know. So I did go to the Manson family picnic. Um, so that we'll find out about that in the next couple of months. But yeah, they'll, they'll, you know, there is some, mon- you know, like Monster Fest, there is some festivals out there they do focus on, you know, the darker themes or oh, yes. more adult themes. But even a couple of them that I thought on paper looked good, but then, you know, you you go to their website and, yeah, they're like, oh, this happens on a Sunday in, in Bondi on the beach with families. You're like, oh. Well, no, you're not going to pick my film. So there was films that said, but the great thing was uh, I've learned a lot about festivals and if you want to play that game, what type of film probably is more tailored for it. So mm-hmm. maybe a good family comedy sci-fi film is more the way to go, you know, and then that way it's just open to all festivals. And then also the other side, because we've been talking about Space Brains having some sort of festival coming soon, like as, as kind of, you know, we're in the beginning stages of that. I've also sort of learnt, I think, some of the things that festivals are doing good and maybe not so good and also how they're communicating and what they offer. Being someone on the other side, which is entering your film and how they kind of communicate to you and deal with you and even notify you and all those kind of things. So, yeah, I feel like it's been a huge learning curve. That That's one thing. Last episode talking about, yeah, moving into my next short film. Haven't made much progress since last week, but... Um, you know, I'm, I, that's in that's in progress and a little bit like you because of school holidays. Uh, but then I also, and I don't know if you saw it on social media, but I put up, I've come up with a brand new beat board. 
uh, so that office and I've sort of filled out some of the things from Blake Schneider, Save the Cat, and also Robert McKee's story and kind of just, and, and the great thing is, so I think I did that on, so where are we Monday? I think I did that Friday and, um, you know, the, the excellent thing is each day, you know, I've walked into the office and then obviously all this week I'm going to be in there working my actual day job working, but it's like, I'm staring at it and it's actually getting me going, oh, okay. What am I going to do? So, um, but my, my next one is pretty much already locked in, which is a horror film. And it's about crocodiles. Crocodiles. So crocodiles. It's one that I, if you remember, where are we? 2020, 2019, late 2019, I spoke to the guy at NBC Australia. Oh, yeah. That was one of the ones and I got feedback. And so I've already planned from that feedback and modified what I thought would be better um from from having that great conversation with that guy and um it's think that that was only a year ago pre-covid <laughs> different world um but yeah i'm thinking that that will be mapped out on that beat board pretty pretty soon and again it's probably uh once the kids go back to school in two weeks but will be the start of it but it's great having that beat board up actually because it's reminding me of what you know what you have to put where and yeah just kind of getting the juices flowing sorry the juices yeah, that is a good idea yeah of course when i was a teenager i had a beat sock but we won't talk about that no i don't want to talk about your beat sock <laughs> and, and that killed the conversation that totally did it would just be like this you know, um, we'll talk about this, how they, with Wickers, he's on the run from MNU and suddenly the news headlines are that he's got uh, STDs from... Oh, he, yeah, he's probably been having sex with the aliens. with the uh, aliens. No, I did not have sex with them. <laughs> Everyone's like, ah! Oh, I wasn't. It's such a... Isn't that such a great way of just slandering anyone? You know, if anyone was on the run, you know how these people on the run, this person, where the police are looking for this person... If they really if that's what they just could say. Yes, there's really. a man in the run of the Australian outback. Yeah. He's accused of having sex with a koala. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be like, okay. He got chlamydia from the koala because we all know koalas have chlamydia. We do. I don't know. Can they pass on chlamydia? He was looking sideways at a wombat. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And then you'd be like, oh, he said, no, it was not me. I did not do that. Because if... if oh, yes, I did actually. What? You know those most wanted posters, like yes. murderer, right? Like it's like murderer. Yeah, sure. You might remember the face. But I think you'd really remember it if that was the message in the media. This person that had sex with an alien, you'd be like, oh, that guy. There would, of course, rule 34, which says if you can talk about it, there'd be porn of it. But you <laughs> know heard rule 34? Okay, no. well, let's take it. If, if you can think of it... Someone's made porn about it. Yeah. So, you know, prawns and humans, I yeah. do not doubt that there was movies of yeah. that. Yeah. Well, it was but, suggested that the Nigerians, um, because there was, you know, when they said the Nigerians early in the film. Yeah, they were trying everything to get... Trying to, and there was the... the DNA to try. Yeah, and they did... There was a shot that was saying even uh, offering sexual services. or There was some line of dialogue mm. that the newsreader said, and there was a shot of, like, you know, a woman walking out of the Nigerian gang. So it was like... Yeah, that's where it would be coming from, the porn. Yeah. Oh, yes. Well, I've got Porn Hub would have its own prawn channel. This would be Prawn Hub. Prawn Hub. <laughs> I step sister uh, prawn. Uh, sorry, watch the accident. What have you been doing? <laughs> You're caught in the dryer. <laughs> yes. Okay, well, let's talk about the plot of this movie. Well, let's, let's get, get stuck started. in it because yeah. it's, it's a good fun movie. It is. So that, just a few details. Like we said, Neil Plonkamp was his first big feature film. He's gone on, done Chappie. 
Chappie, I really like Chappie. We'll have to do Chappie, Chappie. everyone. And Elysium, which, you know, you mentioned a few Elysium times. didn't get great marks, but I really liked it. I, I liked it's a bit it of, too, um, yeah. uh, it's, it's got, sh- sh- oh, what's that guy's name again? Uh, Charlto? Yeah. So I was going to call him Shiloh, but that's like from the play of Shakespeare. Or Shiloh LaBeouf. Oh yeah, Shia LaBeouf. Oh, geez, I watched Transformers the other night. That does that doesn't age well, doesn't it? No, Shia's character is such a douchebag. Megan Fox stays the same, that right? Oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I Megan. still remember. Like I don't, I don't know when did Transformers come out. I don't. Do you it's remember the similar sort of time as this actually? Two thousand eight. Yeah, yeah. So something. I was much older, and you're just like, how gratuitous for teenage boys is that meet and greet of her on the car? Ah. Oh. Like, it's just like, it's ridiculous. Like, Michael Bay has not even, they haven't even attempted to kind of like, oh, it's like, you know, she's changing the, the wheel of the tyre and so she bends over. They're just like, nah, just bend over the car. We'll just need a shot. Yeah. Like, they haven't even, they have not even attempted. It's, it's almost like it's taken straight from the 90s. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, the 90s, they did it right. That's what I mean. It, it's not age well. I was watching it with my kids and I was like, Oh, feeling embarrassed. I was going, oh, kids don't. No, come on. <laughs> oh, no. no. <laughs> but we always look for the good in it. So we might have to come back and watch that film. Sorry. And there, there is some good in there. There's, there's some, there's some sci-fi. peculiar decisions militarily to like go into a city. To well, maybe, we should, maybe we'll have to get stuck into that film. Let's not go down that path too much tonight. But we might need to come A back. great thing about it, though. Optimus Prime, the same voice from the 80s cartoon. Yeah, that's brilliant, isn't that's it? That's wonderful. Yeah, he's a great voice. Um, so, yeah, Blomkart and Terry Tatchell uh, and also has, uh, wrote the story or the screenplay and uh, produced by Peter Jackson and his long-term producing partner, Caroline Cunningham. Now, they made a bucket load of money off this film. Uh, it was sorry. quite so successful. Him, putting the, him opening his wallet and pulling out 30 mil, uh, it made 210 mil in the US alone. So he well and truly got his money back, right? Um, so Charlto Coppola plays Vickers van der Meer. I'm sure. Vickers van der Meer. Van der Meer. Um, Jason Cope also is Christopher Johnson, the big District 9 prawn. Uh, David Jones is the uh, Colonel Kubus Venter. He's just a sadistic son of a bitch, isn't he? Sadistic. He, he was driven. Shall we say? No, he's he's he's, he's deliberately. He was, he's pretty mean. He's deliberately done to be super mean, which also carries over in reverse, doesn't it? That Charlto Coppola kind of plays that same role in Elysium, then doesn't he? Yes, it's, it's like almost like he plays a very similar. And when, I, and when military... I watched Elysium, I I saw Charlto doing his thing and and the voice, and I was like, oh, where do I know him from? And finally, it's like clicked after a few scenes where you sort of hear him talking. You go, that's. That's because that's yeah, but now yeah. he's the tough asshole. But yeah, whereas in District Nine, he's basically you know a, a nerdy accountanty type yeah, person. Yeah. He even has little like knitted vests and <laughs> pocket protector and weird glass, and, he, and he's sort of like a character from The Office. Yes, and Vanessa Hayward plays his wife Tanya. Okay, so Peter Jackson had uh, Neil Blomkamp lined up to do Halo. Halo, Halo was, yeah. Because you're talking about computer games. Halo. They couldn't get Halo made. No they? funding. They said, no, we're not going to do that for you. Because that, that would have been good. And so they said, well, no worries. We'll just do, just, we'll expand your little short movie into something a bit bigger. Yes. And thank goodness they did. That's right. When, you know, I knew that. I knew that at the time, but I just didn't know it now. 
<laughs> yeah, so the budget about thirty million dollars. Yeah. Uh, box off uh, office about two hundred and ten. Yeah. Seven times the money back. That's pretty good. good. Return on your um, his wallet, but a bit fatter. Peter Jackson's wallet just got that little. Yeah, why not? And it was filmed in New Zealand, South Africa, and USA. Presuming that a lot of the special effects probably fall wetter. So let's get into the plot. It does start in 1982. 1982, a gigantic spaceship comes floating down out of space. It doesn't go near any of the major cities. I think it even mentions it doesn't turn up in New York. Or yeah, yeah, everyone was surprised it turned up yeah. in Joburg. It's in Johannesburg and it's just over, you know, over there and, and, and they went, well, there's a bit of panic, a bit of fear of what's going on. But I think it sat there for three days or three weeks or... There's a Three months, or I can't, I can't remember what it was. It's just sitting there for a while, and finally they went, Okay, it's not, you know, yeah, there's no demands that they can't communicate with it. Uh, it's not transmitting anything. So they, they flew the helicopters in and cut their way in. Yeah. And in there, they, they found like this mess of just aliens, a million of them, I think they said. Yeah. And they were sort of malnourished, they oh, were starving, they diseased. diseased, they didn't look in good condition, um, struggled to put words together, or they couldn't understand them. Um, and so the South African government relocated them off the spaceship into a camp they named District 9. District 9. Um, and this is like in terms of the camera, we, we're getting the way this film opens, we're sort of, we've got interviews going on with, there's a multinational guy, um, there's a reporter, um, we're getting cuts of, like pretty abrupt cups of newsreels and raw footage from the event of the spaceship arriving. So we're not seeing it, um, you know, being played out as a standard sort of narrative film. It's more of a documentary style. And in fact, I would probably label it a bit more going into that mockumentary style, especially in the first half of this film, because it is trying to set up like this is real footage this really happened um and look it's and also then with the special effects i mean it blew me away what those special effects are like and i thought it was also a very clever way They've, because they stood scenes, up well haven't they? yeah and they have stood up now that it's 11 years later but it, it's like a clever way of showing a spaceship it's a little bit like you saying the monster through red eye or through night vision um it's the same here because you're seeing a spaceship through old news footage so it's kind of extra grainy and stuff. Yeah. You know? So kind of you get away, you're a bit more forgiving of it, you know. So I thought that was really clever. But then really quickly, um, they talk about, well, over the years it's turned into a slum um, and the locals are complaining. And we sort of have, again, this news footage of, are they like stealing petrol or something or parts of a car or something? And then there's, like, there's a bit of a fight going on in the petrol station. Yeah, um, they, they're causing problems. They're causing problems. problems, the prawns. <laughs> Um, and there's kind of signs up and, and they're eating from bins, you know, uh, and a couple of, there's sort of, again, news footage of, you know, locals saying, we didn't want them here. Why are they, you know, why don't they just go back home? You know, that kind of idea. Uh, very, very classic. Um, and again, we have these kind of cuts to interviews of, again, as I said, those people, multinational and security personnel. Yeah, office workers. Yeah. And then we start getting introduced, I think, like, as you said, we see some footage that is, and interviews of like someone that worked with Wickers, Wickers's dad, um, sort of saying that yeah, we we wouldn't um, know what's going on. Um, yeah, following the unrest between the aliens and uh, the locals, the government hires the multinational United 
I mean, I think there's a little bit of a connection here to uh, the UN in a way, isn't it? Kind of this idea. I think it felt like they were labelled very similar to the UN. Um, but these guys are a private company. They're a huge weapons manufacturer. Uh, and they are put in charge to relocate the aliens to this new camp city, far out of the city. And the head of MNU, he is going to introduce the uh, the MNU worker who's going to be in charge of this relocation, this uh, hanging out the eviction notices under some uh, articles of, of MNU, whatever it is, so to make it all legal. Yeah. And introduces Wickers Vandermeer. He says, and then he, I think he's asked a question. Well, he maybe doesn't even ask a question. He just says, and yeah, the fact that he's my, you know, married my daughter is, is, didn't really play into this. He's an effective, and he's going to go, oh, bull crap. You know, <laughs> no, nobody's fooled. That's right. And Vickers is kind of surprised and also looks very quickly out of context, doesn't he? You know, like he doesn't really know what he's about to do. No, he's, he's, he's oh, I'm very pleased. You know, he, he, he does look very pleased and he's, he's chuffed and everyone's patting him on the back, but he's... He's clearly an office worker. He is not a field worker at all. He's yeah. He looks totally nerdy and out of touch. And and this is where we get a really nice cut as well. That he's kind of adjusting his lapel and he's talking to camera and he talks about his wife a little bit and he talks about what they're going to do. The procedure of going in and moving the prawns tells us a little about the prawns and and also it's intercut with. Um, them all getting ready, you know, the military guys and loading up the guns and those sort of things. And in fact, there's even an abrupt bit that he, he goes, oh, it's time to go, and he kind of drops the mic, you know. Yeah. So it's the, as I was saying before, that they really went for this style of documentary, trying to make it look as real and as then, possible. And then I love his little confrontation with the soldiers. Yeah. You know, you seem to have uh, more ammunition than maybe what you need. Then regulation. Then regulation, <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, so you, you get, I, get, I was getting the idea that, He's not, he's not super comfortable with the violence and with confrontation. You know, which is funny because he's, he's kind of uh, tries to big note himself a bit there, but he's he's clearly anxious about the fact that these people have got lots of weapons and and ammo when they're supposed to be going in getting signatures. Yes. So I think that's a bit of a save the cat there, sort of where he's kind of like, okay, we're we're going into this thing, but we're not going to kill them. You know, we're just going to get signatures right uh, and then of course he gets yelled at we get introduced then to the opposite of save the cat the kill the cat moment <laughs> where as said the uh, head guy whatever his name was uh, David James I David James Colonel. oh that's Colonel. the actor. yeah the yeah, colonel, the colonel. comes in and yells at him and, and pushes him or shoves him aside you know like which is that big okay you know that he's not a nice man yes yeah, and I mean, like, we learn pretty quickly with him, like, as soon as they get to District 9, him, you know, you know, shoot first, basically. Shoot first, ask questions later is kind of the strategy, isn't it? Um, as all part of this as well, this doco style, there is really intense, uh, heavy beat music here. It's very dramatic. It's very thematic of, you know, them going in as a big military presence. You see a big, I know there's a big wide shot, of all the tankers going into District 9. You know? Yeah, lots, lots of rolling uh, convoys of yeah. armoured Armor, carriers. Yeah. You know, they're, not, they're not just sort of going in in, in little cars no. or a bus. And again, you get this impression, don't you, that it's kind of like we're seeing what we said before of, you know, like 
oh, the government kind of said, oh, we're just going to move these people, these aliens to a nicer place. And in reality, it's quite it, sort of in military. Reality, they must be expecting to have to fight. Fight. <laughs> because they're going in there. I mean, sure, there's the various human gangs that are in there that are causing trouble. But they leave them alone and they get left alone. And, and they roll on in. They, they immediately start, you know, Hitting houses, these shacks. These little shacks. And it goes in and um, finds a, you know, an, an ornery prawn that sort of spits on the ground and shoves. And yeah, I think he gets shot. Yeah. There you go, and then that's fine. And then there's an, the force of the there, there was another one there who then like just knocks, hits the paper out of the way or something. Yeah. He says, "Oh yeah, that's it. We got his mark. <laughs> we got it. We got it. That's all we needed." And he says, "All right, let's go. Let's go." <laughs> And then, uh, obviously, there's another one they do bribery. They go, you know, here's some cat food if you sign. Yeah, you know. they track the cat food to distract them. You know, he says, yeah. oh, what is it with the cat food? <laughs> yeah, so and we find that your cat food's like catnip for prawns. You know, they, they kind of, they don't quite get intoxicated from it. There's something no, about it. And but they really like the taste. Well, yeah, it's, it's a nice little touch of cat food, you know, yeah. who knows why. But they, they go around, there's a couple of those, and then we, we see Christopher Johnson, the... Yeah. Yeah, uh, this alien fellow, he does. He looks a bit more organised, a little bit more mentally together. Yeah, yeah. And I've got to wonder if maybe the disease and everything, because there's so many unanswered questions. Yeah. The disease and the, the in terrible state that these aliens were found in may have been, you know, caused brain damage. Yeah. Because a lot of these aliens, as much as you like to give them the credit, the fact they're in bad condition and the rest of it, aren't real clever. No. Like, no. so you got to wonder, like, did they get suffer brain damage from malnutrition, from disease and so forth. And of course, then there are kids. They, they In fact, while they go around, they find the eggs and they smash the eggs and they laugh about it. And so it's really rough. There's a bit... They burn them. Really yeah, right? then they're, yeah. Yeah, they're popping. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's our little buggers. Yeah. Popping. Yeah, so that's... You don't have a permit for this. <laughs> yeah, yeah but, but nonetheless, there are kids being born in there. They've gone from... because yeah, the population's gone up. They've gone from 9 million up to 3 million or whatever it is over the past 20 years or something. Uh, so you've got to think that the new generations then are probably more the interacting with the gangsters and so forth. But yeah, they, they do. They come across... Um, we come across Christopher Johnson. Yeah. And, then, and he's far more together and he's instructing his son... Yeah. And now, when I watched this the first time, I swear they had subtitles. They did. For there the no, sub, no, there's subtitles for this, but there was none when we watched it. Oh, okay, there we yeah. go. So the one we watched didn't have sub. I thought they would have been baked into the movie. There must have been yeah. different versions. I don't know, yeah. Because, yeah, they had subtitles when I watched it anyway. They, were, they had subtitles on the version. He didn't, he didn't entirely need them, as it turns right. out. But, uh, you know, there were some long exchanges <laughs> where you're kind of going, okay, <laughs> without subtitles, this is, you know, I get in a couple of these movies we're watching on Netflix where there's like a long exchange in in Korean or something, and you see they're going, "What?" And you actually turn on like the subtitles, and it tells you, "Oh, they go, you know," because you can't sit there for a minute and a half. Like it's the occasional sort of bark to order or a little exchange, yeah, sure, but a full on conversation, you start going. Especially, um, I did notice at the, like when you do what we said before, getting to that final scene where he does double cross him, like he didn't. It, without subtitles, you didn't hear, you didn't see that he actually says, "Oh, it will take three years yeah. to fix you." And uh, whereas, it, because there's no subtitles, it's like three years. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you're like, "What? We missed something." There's a there's a plot point there we missed. Yeah, so anyway, they they do they, they sort of pop some eggs. They, they 
they get some signature from someone and we get Christopher Johnson, his son, that foraging around, they sort of get something and they have like this uh, delicate operation where they've got this little canister that goes, yeah. they pour some stuff in and they've got this chemistry set and then it pop. Ooh, yeah. And then they hear the, the approaching goons. So they quickly hide stuff and go out the back way. And, yeah. and sure enough, this is where Rickus turns up and starts searching through and he's he's still kind of being the big man, going, oh, you know, there's definitely weapons here. There's ooh, some sort of a chemistry set, <laughs> which is confusing for him because nowhere else has he come across yeah. anything so sophisticated as someone actually doing something. And there's like computer parts. He says, yeah. the computer's decorating the walls. And you go, mm. well, you suspect actually, no, he's probably been scavenging what parts and things he yeah. can from it. And this is where he finds, this is sort of the turning point, the... um you know, inside an incident it, where yeah. he picks up this canister they're messing around with and he says it's not a weapon but it definitely looks dangerous and he presses the button and it, it sprays black oil. It looks like oil yeah, in his yeah. face and he coughs and pushes the camera aside and he splutters and recovers and he says, oh, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll cut that bit. Okay, well, we'll start from here. <laughs> we'll start from here. It's, it's a bit dangerous. I'll just seal it up. It's not a bomb or anything but, you know, the, the lab guys definitely want to see this. And he, he seals it up and then he has another bit of a coughing fit and he comes out. And they have, they catch Christopher Johnson and and say, you know, you got to sign this form. And they, they threaten him and they threaten the son, we'll take your son away from you. And this has an effect on old Mr. Johnson. Yeah. Who, does he sign it? I think he does. He eventually he signs it. He does sign it, yeah. And, and. Eventually, they leave him alone because you sit there as the audience are going, Oh, leave this poor kid alone. He's such a cute little guy. It's like watching the Mandalorian, the little baby Yoda creature. It's not Yoda, but it's a Yoda like being. And it's the same deal. It's just this cute little guy, you know, like little kid growing up in a slum, poor thing. Uh, but yeah, they, they finally let him go and they, they move on. They head on back out. They've sort of. Well, yeah, Wickers is. Um not feeling stuff. Oh, yeah, well, he got, he got well. bashed by a, an alien as well. Yeah, yeah. He gets swinged and there's a there's a scene there where he gets kind of whacked and, again, the military kind of come in and blow them apart. You know, it just shows that the humans are way more in control, you know, yeah. under the sun. It's a pretty unfair environment. That's the whole point of all that huge scene, isn't it, really? That, yeah. Yeah, they burn the baby. Oh, you don't have a permit for the babies? Burn them, pop, pop, you know, and... Just, you know, like, sign here and, you know, like, oh, we got his claw mark. And, oh, you, you're causing trouble. You, uh, you're a gang member, you know. And, oh, have you got a license for a baby? You know, this, this is an illegal child, you know. Like, so it's like, it just shows you, like, it's heavily regulated. There's no, there's no way out, really, for the prawns. Is no, it's, it's not like any of them are trained lawyers. No, and they're not, they're, they're not really help. They're not at all helping them either, you know. No. Like, that's the thing. It's like... You're expecting them to be something else, but you're not even offering any sort of help, any sort no. of assistance. Um, so anyway, he does start going downhill, and I, I remember they they take him out of. They're like, "That's enough for today," or whatever he's had. Yeah, enough. his arm is is a bit mashed. Yeah, and he goes um, he goes back to uh, NU quarters, and he's there in his office, and he's like, he's looking worse to wear already, mm. and he's picking his nails. Oh, that's right. He, he picks off a fingernail. Oh, and then he pulls off another one with his teeth. He like pulls on off. He goes to the bathroom and pulls on off his teeth. Oh, the poor woman beside me was not dealing with that well. <laughs> um, and then he's kind of, you know, he's not well. So he, uh, yeah, what was a, he heads home. He heads home and, you know, he's, he's coughing and he's 
you know, I think he's been a bit sick or whatever, and or not. He's holding in, and uh, that's right. He's just holding it in. He's, no, he's, he's, he's got to go to the bathroom. Yeah, that's right. And he, he kind of comes in, surprise party. And <laughs> oh, it's, that it's, was... it's the boss, and it's the who's his father-in-law, and it's his parents, and he. <laughs> It was a very funny sitcom yeah, moment where he goes, "Oh, I'm so glad I'm back home. You know, this has really been a bit rough." And I'm like, yeah, "Yes, come with me. Why is it all dark?" You're like, oh, <laughs> he's, "He's about to sort of say some things that perhaps would be bad." And yeah. then, yeah, the lights turn on, everyone's there, and he's, "Oh, yeah, yeah, this is where I really have to go." The congratulations, yes, thank you for the. Oh, I really have to, Morgan, have to come go. And me, I need to talk to you about yeah. what happened out there today. Yeah, and then they take him to the take him to the cake. He's just cut the cake. Oh, okay, I, I just cut the cake. <laughs> and just vomits all over the cake. And know, that's really that's kind of a bit of a Peter Jackson moment, though. If, yeah. Before Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson was better known for Brain, Brain Dead, Dead, or as they know it in America, Dead Alive, which is I'm not sure why the name changed, but Dead Alive or Brain Dead, either one, uh, and then. Bad Taste. Have you ever seen Bad, yeah, Bad Taste? Taste? This yeah. is like his first feature. Yeah. That was that was quite unsettling. And also the Meet the Feebles. Yeah, Meet the Feebles. Yeah, so all of them were quite unsettling and vomiting. And, and the Frighteners with Michael J. Fox is like ghosts and stuff. And I think there is a bit of, you know, vomiting and spew and... Yeah, so surprisingly... He's a bit of a theme of his, did he, he didn't <laughs> actually get that into Lord of the Rings. No. Yeah, he moved, he moved on. And put it in this, he allowed uh, Vickers to yes. <laughs> So anyway, then he's taken off to hospital and um, sort of in hospital, they, you know, he's in, in the bed and his wife's separated and, um, you know, he's looking at his arm and he's all yeah. bandaged up. And doctor's like, doctor, that doesn't you know, look good. doesn't look good and they unband and it's a claw. It's yeah, a it flops claw. out. It flops out. As well, it would be called a pincer in that case. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's like a three-fingered claw thing that the, the and he's, he starts screaming and the doctor's like oh goes off and you get all these mu guards run down and they take him away you know they take him away down to their bisecting lab They're down their lab yeah yeah underground and um and it's a good i don't know if it's straight away or not but his wife is then told by her father that oh the doctors are doing the best they can and all this and we kind of have that intercut with that scene of they examine him. They're like, "Oh, we've never had a human cross prawn like this. Can he fire a weapon?" And yeah. so they take him over, and he's like, "What are you doing?" And he's like, I don't want to fire this gun. And the gun comes alive as soon as they put the pincer onto it. Kind of zaps up, and they they wheel in a cow or whatever in front of the the thing. He's like, oh. and they, he's, like "He's like, I'm not going to shoot." And then the doc, the doctor just zaps him with a electric prod, and of course he fires this gun, and the how just the great oh those those guns sprays him on the face hey eh? like hits his face oh, those guns are very magic They're all all very different there's one like yeah every gun lightning bolts yeah. and then one that fired like a machine gun yeah and then there's the one that just exploded things exploded things <laughs> so i mean again the prawns had to have some sort of intelligence but didn't they? I mean, why why would you have three guns like what Surely the one that just explodes things is enough. Why would you they, need well, that? Well, they come from outer space. There could be different types of aliens that weaponry. Maybe, works. I guess so. There could be a blob kind of alien that you fire a machine gun and bullets just boop, 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 you know, whereas you need a zapper that explodes. And this this is one of the nice things about this film is there's so many unanswered questions. There where, is. It's constant. Where you're just wondering this exact question. So they've got this enormous spaceship that crossed interstellar space. And stopped here. It had a, at least a million creatures on board. But you'd imagine quite a bit more because they're having trouble. And yet none of them seem to be able to 
operate and, and they're not showing great intelligence like they're not they're you know because you imagine if they first sort of got them and then when they recovered a bit they're like you know immediately yeah. demonstrating science and stuff like they would have gone oh okay hey let's go but instead they were kind of a bit lost there was that theory some put forward that these were the workers and without their chain of command their hierarchy they're like um, like insect workers they, they were kind of lost a bit aimless which which might might be the case. Be maybe that was it. Or, as I said, maybe that was like just really damaged from whatever the disease was. Well, I guess when you think about it, like if you imagine a one of these navy warships floated into a wharf somewhere in mm. the world, and all the IT engineers that can actually drive the boat are dead. Yeah, if you still had the you just got all the soldiers, right? Like all the all the. Um, well, maybe not even many soldiers. Maybe he has had a lot of the uh, the janitors and the so cooks. The and the, like, no problems with cooks and janitors. But when you turn around and ask them how to operate how, how, can you actually the F-15, yeah. can you fly that F-15? No. Like, what, are you crazy? I don't even I don't even know how to open the hatch. Yeah. Like, I don't even know how they get in. You know, I, could, I could have a go at it, but it'd be no better than you, you know. <laughs> Whatever. No, you, you get me my correct cooking equipment, I can, I can cook feed 5,000 people. But, of course, all that's up in the ship and you've taken them away and they're like, going, well, what have I got here? A garbage can, I guess. Yeah. So, I don't know. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, or you just take a whole bunch of IT people out of their computers and everything and chuck them on an island. Yeah. And like sitting around going, uh, <laughs> do we dig? Do we dig holes? Yeah. I've, I've, seen, I've seen builders dig holes. <laughs> Let's do that. You're like, what? Who knows? I've played Minecraft. Hey, IT. Hey, IT guys. Here's some cat food. Oh, Ooh, okay. We don't have, boys, we don't have to cook tonight. We don't have to hunt. It'll be ramen. Here's instant, instant ramen. Ooh. Ooh, this is the fancy kind. It's got the two sachets in it. So he's tested on, uh, and as we also said a little bit before, the guns work, and then, and then they decide, well, hey, this is worth billions of dollars. And the father's in on this conversation it's the father and it looks like a couple of head honchos well, he's a, the head he does seem to look like he's being concerned and then the doctor finally sort of says yeah you, we're going to need 100% tissue samples or something like that and the father kind of looks a bit confused about what that means is so we're going to have to strip all of his organs and everything and the father goes hmm I understand okay where do you need me to sign you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah it's like okay no worries and they all kind of nod and go off and there's a there's a nice scene here, I think, for the plots of the film that for the plots for the plot of the film because then he actually says to the daughter that you know he's he's dead you know he's, they, they couldn't save him and I, I really liked that because it's yeah you know, that's that's father and daughter and her husband and well he's, it, was, he's it was nice that his his wife was genuinely concerned which she would be it would make sense like you know even though he turned up sick and and all that like it, it made sense right like it, it made sense and, yeah and she got she was getting confused when he because he escapes and then he's um, well yeah then that's the next bit isn't it yeah that he escapes yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> I know he's going go, this was like a couple of weeks ago now as he the escapes memory, right? the memory it's going um Okay, so he does this, anyway. That was a nice little scene. The father telling her that you know he, he's died. He escapes uh, from 
Yeah, in the real last minute kind yeah, of moment, it, doesn't he? Like he, they're about to cut him, uh, cut him up. His alien arm is really strong. Yeah. That's and it busts free. And then he takes off the straps and then he punches some dude and he runs for it. And he manages to get out in the streets. And, and st- he steals some clothes. He good old gets some wraps clothes his, like a blanket over uh, half his body yeah. that's gone all manky. Yeah. And he's, he runs off into the... He's, well, he goes back to the fast food place that he visited yes, earlier. Yeah, you know, yeah. He tries yeah. to order some stuff and then... That's where we get the news flash from the government officials that this man is wanted for having sex with the prawn. Yes. <laughs> no! <laughs> I like that. Everyone's like, ah! It's like, like... They really went crazy on it, didn't they? They just like, start screaming. And I just want my food. Then he like, starts eating someone's food. As well. like, like, yeah, which you would, of course, if you're starving. And, yeah. yeah, and then he, and he has to run again. And the only place he can go, of course, is the, the slums. The one place, yeah. And I think he tries to phone his wife one last time. and Yeah, uh, and she's not... She's very. She's a bit confused about what's going on. Like they're saying terrible things. Yeah, she, sorry, she says to him, oh, they, did you have sex? And he's like, I never had sex with aliens. Imagine explaining that to your wife. Sorry. She wouldn't believe it. The first chance I got to have sex with an alien, bang, I'd be in there. It's on my list. You know, you got the little list of, of exceptions. One of them, the only one on there is, the only one on there is an actual alien from outer space. Um, I can do that. You can do that. You're going for it. You know, unless it looks like a spider. I was like, I'm just not going there. That is... Oh, what was that show on Netflix you and I both watched? It was an animation series, and then it was She Was the Spider, remember? Oh, the Love, um, Sex, and Robots. Love, Sex, and Robots. And there's the Death, one... Death, Sex, and Death, Robots. Death, Sex, and Robots, you know? And there's the one that it's like a fantasy on the on the ship and everything, but then it's actually that it is an alien spider that's like... And it's all, they're like cocooned. Oh, that's right, yeah. He's, he, he goes off and, and thinks it's his uh, long-lost girlfriend or whatever it is. yeah. Yeah. yeah so even that's the thing with an alien you might be going down some subconscious path I might think it's just up... one of those big eyed grey like Paul yeah. type aliens <laughs> you're happy with that kind of alien you yeah, that, that alien I mean you know like probably you're not that any day of the week probably not so foul mouthed <laughs> as Paul you know I'd probably want oh. some like more sophisticated Sophistic- alien oh. Uh, I don't. He was open for. He said, "You know, men, women, it's all." Well, it's, it doesn't count as other species. Count. That's right. Like when they're Arcturian, man. No, but he's raised the people. They're like, "Oh, we're gone." It's just all about the fun. It's all yeah. about the fun. <laughs> when it's Arcturian, it doesn't matter. Yeah, there you go. As they say in some places. I think your fantasy is probably more like Galaxy Quest and like those kind of. Pro- probably know, more like the Galaxy Quest. Or the Quest. old fashioned Star Trek. Star Trek aliens, where, just, where it's just like they're just an alien. It's just, it's just a human and an alien. It's just a, a human with like a bit of freckles or something. <laughs> no, these are my special sensory freckles that let me detect gamma wave radiation. Yeah. But beyond that, I'm pretty much just a hot yes, human. Yes, otherwise a hot human, yeah. <laughs> Um, so he's not, he, yeah, he's in District 9, he's gone, uh, what happens next? He runs across Christopher, Christopher. He, well, he goes back because he's, he's going, it must have been that bloody thing, so he goes back to Christopher and says, what the hell, man, you're, you're like squirting me with crap and it's doing shit, and, and then he, he sees the, uh, spaceship diagram, yeah. and, and the, the, the kid is looking at the map, yeah. And he says, you know what, you're going, on, you're, yeah. going you're leaving here, you're leaving, you know, you're, yeah. you've got something going on. They you know, sort of say, yes. And he says, well, you got to help me. And he says, well, we need that black goopy thing. Yeah, fluid. But, you know, it's sort of one-side conversation here, but you get the idea. Yeah. 
And he says, well, sure. Oh, pardon me. I, I can get you in there. Yeah. And they say, okay, off they go. And, and in exchange, you can change me back. That's yeah, yeah. And Christopher John said, yes. <laughs> Probably. Showing huge level of intelligence like manipulation of the truth. Yes, yes. Yes. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to think, though, with the level of genetic technology they have, yeah. he's probably figuring yeah, we mu- must be able to. Yeah, that's the thing. It would be an intelligent decision. Yeah, we can do that, I think, at some point. I'm not a doctor. Yeah, but I think I can run that machine that does I it. mean, we're turning you into a problem. I must be able to turn you back, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> so just get some I other just reverse engineer black, what I did. Okay. Black goop that turns you into people, I suppose. And all yeah. we have to do is get to that ship. Trust me. It's a- yeah, so, so they... Go back, back to Emmanuel, yeah. and conveniently they didn't lock Wickers out, so he could still get his access codes. Yes, and they get in, they get down into the where the weapons are being kept, yeah. and they search it for the black goop. Yeah. Uh, they, they find it, of course, but in come the mercenaries. Yeah, but just before that, they do have that moment where um, Christopher, oh. the, the, where Wickers had been, been sort of dissected, they were also doing a lot of experiments and dissecting and cutting up the prawns for many ways. And he sees his old friend Paul, which was Paul from... Hogan. Paul Hogan. He's from, put another shrimp on the barbie and he's like, what the hell, man? Which was, which was one of the... the you know, prawn characters in that opening sort of sequence and um and he's shocked by it stunned by it christopher yeah. like he kind of he can't move really and you're right all the mercies run in and there's a bit of a standoff and christopher is he's trying to take in he's probably thinking i don't want to save you i really don't want to save you this, this is, is he's probably of, thinking this is worse than i thought because like, yeah, it's bad this, that we're being a bit picked on yeah. and you know maybe maybe they were the workers in that spaceship and maybe they're kind of used to having a a strong hierarchy and and so, you know, though they don't like it, perhaps it's kind of like, well, this is our lot in life. Yes. But when he sees this, he goes, well, okay, this is a little bit much. Yeah. But uh, they get a hold of some guns, and we have this really cool shootout where these guns, that because it's just kind of firing blindly, but it's just this incredible zappy, explodey gun, <laughs> which is just... I can't believe these mercenaries kept moving forward shooting. Yeah, I know. I've seen my buddy just literally turn into red mist. Yeah. I'd be going... That's no, like I've got a bulletproof vest on. That's just not going to help. No, it's not going to do anything. <laughs> the goggles—they do nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're, we're a bulletproof vest going against this guy. So they, they manage to escape and they get back to District Nine again. Yes. Um, and the mercy- well, oh, mind you, there is that moment where Paul says, "Okay, well, how do we get out of here?" He says, "Oh, I, I only see what I could get you in here." <laughs> <laughs> and then and there's he, like, no escape plan. Yeah, and he fires through the wall, doesn't he? Yeah, he blows up a wall. Explodes the wall, yeah. and they run off. And they run off. They get away, but the mercenaries are hunting them, uh, and they get back to District 9. Um, this is where, when they get back and start firing up the the ship, that then they reveal, he reveals that the ship's underneath Christopher's house. Mm. There's a secret compartment. Oh, he'd been hiding this all this time. You crafty <laughs> this, bugger. This definitely is not in the regulations. Yeah. Uh, you're definitely not allowed this. Um, and uh, Which is funny because they want them to leave. They're saying, go back to where you came from, oh, but you can't have any spaceships. No, you can't go on a spaceship Just back. somehow get back to where you came from. And, uh, but this is where Christopher lets him know that it'll be about three years and I'll return for you. 
And Wickers is then not happy. He's enraged. And he actually knocks Christopher down. Because he's transforming more and more. Yeah. He's been, his, his, his whole his arm and his bits of... His other arm is starting to get these sort of scaly protrusions. Chunks. Yeah, and, there's yeah. chunks going on, isn't there? There's little chunks of this, the exoskeleton. We're, we're getting a bit of body horror sort of thing. So he knocks Christopher down um, and hops into the module of the mothership himself um, and tries to take off the little... Um, son, he he sort of like you know he's disturbed by it, um, but he does help. Vickers says, "Do you want to you know do you want to get back to the ship? Help me." Um, so you navigate or do something, and because um, he locks Christopher out, that's what he does, doesn't he? When he mm. shuts the mother, you know, sh- shuts the, the ship down, um, and he fangs this ship out. And there's a great moment, isn't there? Because there's like the news. A filming from a helicopter and they're like oh my goodness you know this ship's emerging from the dirt and it kind mm. of hovers up above the ground for a few moments um and oh, then we, we also learn at this point where previously an object had been seen falling yeah from the ship but no one had been able to find it and no one knew what it was yes so they figure that this must have been it but then with that um yeah venter the colonel rocks up and blows you know sends a firing down to the, the ship and Wickers is kind of put off guard and crashes, then just crashes, you know, whatever it is, 50 or I know, because you're sitting there going, oh, he'll get to the ship. He'll yes. get there, yeah, yeah. But no, no, not at all. He crashes. Yeah. Um, and, and this starts the great big end sequence. Yeah, the big sequence that you, you talked about before, that we have this real standoff between uh, Venter and he, he captures Wickers and then Christopher... But then the Nigerian gang kind of kick into gear and they blow them up. And then the this armored suit comes to life. Yeah. The kid gets in the ship and starts up the armored suit and does a few other bits and pieces. Yeah. Has some sort of a plan going on there. He's a clever and then kid. the mercenaries kind of like retreat, but then kind of come back and as a military force, uh, Wickers gets in that big suit and starts blowing. You know, he blows the Nigerians out and kind of gets free. And there's that great moment for a character, isn't there, that he could kind of run for it and probably be okay or yeah. he could save yep. Christopher. Because Christopher's in trouble. Yeah, so Christopher's been taken uh, by a couple of the others to be executed and, you know, taken off to the taken off to the sort of side of one of the slum buildings. Um, and there's a great moment there, isn't there, because Wickers is kind of like thinking about Running and at this point, also once he's in that thing, you notice his eye changes from. It's like he's had his two human eyes, but then it's like he's got one human eye, one prawn eye. Yeah, so like poly- we're right. Chromatio. Yeah, but it's a real nice, like you know, transition moment, isn't it? Because he's still human enough that he could just run away and be like protect himself, but he kind of uh, he sways to help Christopher. Yeah, he he picks up a, a what was he pick up as a shield or something. Yeah, he picks a car door, a car or something. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. grabs Christian Drazen and runs for it. And this, and this is just like this running. Ba- I don't know how long this battle scene goes for. It must be about fifteen minutes. It it's feels long. it feels long. Yeah, because um, there's a guy up high, you know, the thing. Yeah, there's a helicopter. There's rocket launchers. There's rocket launchers. Throws the rocket launcher, tries to <laughs> grab it, throw it away. Yeah, there's a, and it's just it's just fantastic, and they. Yeah, the battle sort of wages on and crash, crash, and then the kid finally does something and Vickers sort of finally with his last staggering bit 
manages to kill Venter. Yeah. And he falls out of his armor suit and he's all messed up. He's not happy about it. It's great that I love that he like the suit collapses and he's dead. The suit's dead. It's actually the suit is dead. It's sort of. It bleeds. It expels him, you know, like he he almost vomits out of it onto the ground. Like (laughs) Yeah. And the the suit like gives up and it's you know, it's oil and stuff, whatever. It's black goop. It's black goop pulls out. Yeah, but uh but Christopher's got back to his son and the the ship and you know, the a light starts up like a tractor beam. Yes. Sucks this ship up. Because you're wondering how on the ship got shot down, how they're gonna get in there. But the son knows the schematics of the ship. I'm guessing Christopher basically drilled it into him the whole time. Uh, or he just knew. He manages to make the mothership send down a massive beam of track, like a tractor beam, right? Yeah, the one and, that they would normally abduct people with. Yeah, that's right. The, the old-fashioned one where they do the, the uh, anal probes and picks up the ship and just starts going up and up and up and up and up to the sky. And this is where Venter... He's not quite dead. Mm. And he comes out and he's like, oh, you know, like orders something. But with that, just some regular prawns kind of circle in. Yeah. And, you know, Rickus is kind of pretty much dead. But those prawns go, oh, right, there's now a bunch of us and there's one of you. And I think he shoots one, but then the rest of them grab and just... Oh, he's, just he's December, uh, ripped apart. Ripped apart. Literally. And start eating him, I think. Oh, yeah, why not, hey? <laughs> They're hungry. Yeah. Um, uh, so that's, and then and then it leaves Earth. And so we now kind of full circle come back to those interviews, as you said earlier, that we realise some of those interviews are now post. They were always post the event. Mm. Um, and it's his father, Vickers' Vic father and his mother. Um, and it also reveals... It was his the, the sort of the intern he had earlier said, oh, they re- he revealed the secrets to the public about MU. Yeah. Uh, revealed all of their kind of experiments to the public, which kind of causes a lot of issues for MNU. Um, and the, the aliens are moved on to the new camp called District, 9, District 10, sorry. Uh, and then his wife is talking to camera sort of in the bedroom and, uh, she she shows this metal flower that was at her front door. Yeah, and they're saying that no one really knows what happened to Vickers. They assume that he died in the in the fight. Yeah, but we get we get like a a shot then at the end of like a well a prawn really. Yeah, wearing a bit of clothes. Yes, and crafting some metal. This same sort of rose metal. Mm. Yeah, so it's a nice end. Yeah, so Vickers totally changed. Yeah, and he's he's gonna have to wait for. A, well, maybe at least three years. We don't know if he's coming. You got to think Christopher Johnson would would try to come back. Come back because Vickers came back for him, and I don't know. I thought so, and I've got to say again, when I did see this, I mean, each time I've kind of seen it, I, I want a sequel. I know everyone you know, does, like, but you really want to know. You really want Christopher to come back, don't you? But I, I have a feeling this might be one of those movies where it's best without one. Like a sequel might give too much away. Yeah, and and maybe. Maybe that would not be a good thing because I, yeah. I think a lot of times we get sequels because yeah, this movie was oh, yeah, financially money, successful. Yeah. So it's it's popular. It has this great uh, story and world. This mystery of these aliens and where did you know Christopher go? Yeah, what was he intended to do? What were these aliens? How come they were so I don't know basic? Like they, they why, why were they like that? Yeah, why why did they not have more like Christopher Johnson who? Because had most of them been like 
clever fellas like that, yeah. they would have been probably taken in by companies for researchers, you know, not to do research on them, but to for them to work with humans. Do research on humans. To do research. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. A, an alien viewpoint with what they've seen and know oh, with, with, yeah. would look at human research and go, oh, here's some interesting insights for you or, or something. But clearly they just weren't well, But also like it... it, it the question of like, okay, they've come here and they're just randomly locked up and maybe they were sick or whatever. It's like, well, Christopher doesn't, that, Christopher doesn't answer those questions, but he basically says, well, I've got to go back to the home and come, I'll come back in three years or something. It's like, so they came here to begin with. So maybe they did just crash land because of the virus or whatever. Yeah, but obviously like- it sounds like he's going back to the home planet. It's not, you know, quite often these alien stories we've seen, it's like, Oh, they're leaving yeah, the home planet because it's destroyed, and there's nowhere else to go. It's more like they have rocked up, destroyed, sick, lost the leaders, whatever. Something's wrong with the ship, but back home's okay. So oh, that yeah, just kind yeah. of begs you, like for me, it's like, wow, what would was this just there? a cruise ship? And that's <laughs> like the the, um, yeah, the patrons, they're the passengers. Yeah, they're they're just tourists. They're just tourists. That's why they're useless because <laughs> they're like they're just all randoms, like off the streets. You know, they just on the cruise ship they stop feeding us one day. Yeah, except for the cruise ship, you know. Well, back home, I'm a shoe salesman. Yeah. <laughs> what do I know about these weapons? Yeah. <laughs> you ask me about the technology, I can tell you about prawn shoes. Yeah, that's right. Like, but you know. Whatever, I'm a nail technician. <laughs> if you had prawn hands, I could make you look fantastic. Yes, that's right. But firing a gun or flying a spaceship. Not, I've never done that. Yeah, it was yeah. just only one actual crew member of the. I, I, I actually quite like this theory that it was actually a pleasure cruise. It was a cruise. And because yeah. you imagine at the, the best of times, I think pleasure cruises tend to devolve into mass piles of sickness and <laughs> orgiast, orgiastic foolishness yeah. Uh, that yeah buffets that never end never ending buffets you know like toilet bowls that uh, overflowing yeah and so it's, it's basically that's what's happened is they've, they've all got a bout of uh, really bad food poisoning and Can't the whole, why they're the whole crew has died off except for Christopher Johnson like the, the one the chief engineer or something yeah. or maybe the intern maybe he's only the intern but he just he just knows enough that because let's face it most of it seemed to be automated yeah. Vickers was able to actually sort of fly around a bit. Yeah. You don't need a bit of extra knowledge. Yeah. Mm. So it's interesting. But, okay, so no, you're saying no sequel. I'm, I'm just saying, I suppose, it's a credit to the filmmakers and the story because it, it is one of those ones you're like, oh, I want to know more. Oh, <laughs> you know, like, I want more. You know, like when you end a, a TV show where it's like, it's almost like a bit of grief that it's ended, you know? Like, yeah. Right. And quite often you don't get that with a film. This film, I, you know, I, re- I don't know if I had that same feeling the other night because I've seen this a few times now, but I do just remember the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, I want I want him to come back, you know? Like, yeah, I you, you want know something more, to happen. Like... I want to know more about this world. I want You know, and all these questions that haven't been answered, yeah? Come back and blow up the humans. <laughs> yeah, or, you know, what other or tragedy is there? Is, is there something? But when you, when you do break it down like we've just done, like there is so much of a connection between apartheid and uh, the Holocaust. Like that's the intention of this story. What I was saying before, I really feel like a, fa- a modern-day fable or myth almost. It's like we can't really make that a sequel like because that was the power in this story. You know, if you bring him back, it becomes a totally different film. Yeah. You know, what, does he come back for revenge? Does he come back, like, to reveal a whole other part of humanity? Like, what does he do? But it's hard to... You kind of can't repeat that original media. And, as we know, sometimes they make those sequels and the sequels are just like, 
Oh, yeah. Well, Highlander. <laughs> Highlander is a perfect example. Highlander, the first one, it's it's a low budget film. Uh, some of the special effects are a bit dodgy. Some of the acting is a bit questionable. Fantastic soundtrack by Queen. Yes. And it's just this this beautiful mythos that just people fell in love with this idea of these immortals. Mm. So much so that they went, okay, we're going to make a sequel. But how do you have a sequel from Highlander? It's like there can be only one, and he was one. He was the one. And they go, well, we can get somehow they got Sean Connery back. Yeah. Like I think that was a bad choice by Sean. Yeah, I know they, they, would have, <laughs> they would have just like wheeled a truck of money after him over here. Yeah, pretty much and, happened most time. And that sequel was just kind of it had none of the soul, none of the flavor. Like it, it had some merit in some ways. Like if that had been an entirely different film, not like not a sequel, maybe it would have been able to stand on its own. But as a sequel, it was just, it, it made no sense. And it, the magic of the first one, same as the magic of this, is that the story isn't answered. Like we don't know why the immortals were there or what purpose they had or this reward. We don't really know what the prize was about. None of that is known or acknowledged or explained. It just is. And then District 9 is the same. And I... I would be afraid that a sequel would try to, you know, these days it would start the District 9 universe. Yes. You know. <laughs> it, oh, yeah. Well, maybe if it did that, that would be okay. But it, it, you could you could totally see them bringing Christopher back and turning Lucas back and what would, what what's really the tale, you know what I mean? When you're following on from this story. So, yeah, I, yeah. Mean, I think we've I think we've made a concrete uh, argument for them not making a sequel. Yes, I know. As, as <laughs> much as it does, film that I wanted to do it more. does sad my heart not no, to have more. No but, more wickets. At wickers. times, you've got to let art stand on its own. You do, you do. So on that arty ranking of all the films we've looked at, sorry, uh, let's talk a bit about our preference of how our audience should be looking at these films. Uh, we. We'll have a special episode coming up soon, uh, a sub-episode, I think. Sub-episode? No, it's not counted as one of our regular episodes where we do just sit down and maybe recap our ladders. For me, District 9 is really skyrocketing or shaking up my ladder because I'm putting it in there at number six on my ladder, which comes after the platform. How good was the platform? The platform's great. <laughs> Talk about gross stuff. Gruesome yeah, that was stuff. also That's quite gross. Uh, but yeah, coming straight after the platform, so it's sort of pushed down my list. Interstellar was on number six, so it's just above Interstellar now for me. So yeah, squeezing and, between. And it is hard, isn't it? Because you're saying it is. The more should you watch, should you watch District Nine before Interstellar or after Interstellar? Is there a connection that's strong enough? Should Interstellar, you know, like, and this you're sort of trying to do these things because you can't sort of say District Nine is. Better than Interstellar, yeah, no, had, you, you can't, can't you can't say that, but no. but you sort of try and link them, and yeah. and I found a pattern also. District Nine, then Snowpiercer, then the platform, and you look at those; they're all they do have a similar feel of of. There's a bit of a cultural power underdog cultural power, a bit of grossness a about food, grossness, yeah, and yeah, some similarities. And it's just only you know, the District Nine is the prawn, and it's just below the lobster. Mm. So it's it's definitely up there. It, it has, it has to me many of the similar sort of feelings of um, uh, both those movies, like the platform and Snowpiercer, also had the very effective moments. You know, there's that Snowpiercer that had that axe fight yeah, in the train, which just 
when I watched that the first time, it just totally blew me away. It was just, it was just reminded me of, um, whoa, what was this Hong Kong movie? Mm, is it Once Upon a Time in Hong Kong? Oh, or was it Project? Oh, it's one of these ones, anyways. That this this about these gangsters in Hong Kong, like Shanghai, back in the day, uh, and they fight with axes, and there's just this big hand to hand brawl. Uh, but yeah, definitely up there. So I've got um, Oblivion, Pitch Black, Lobster, District Nine, Snowpiercer, Platform, rounding out that sort of that top section there. And I I do see amongst them some similarities. Similarities, yeah. And I think that's what we'll need to get into on that special episode, and yes. maybe have a look and think about what what we can see some similarities, differences, that kind of listing out. So that's the latter. What about the science, Sorry, What? comes out of District 9 for you scientifically. Very, very, the genetic machinery and DNA as a technology. Yeah, I love it. I this love is, it. It's, it's really cool. I mean, we've had uh, various attempts for some reason to make smart guns which don't shoot unless you are somehow allowed to shoot them, mm-hmm. which kind of skirts around the problem. I like sort of say, or keep it out of dangerous hands, but... Well, what if the gun is made for the dangerous person? Like, like I don't quite understand that. But that aside... Um, I suppose you could see, like, children... If I have a gun in my house and it's detected to my biology, then my children can't fire it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that is that would, probably, that, would, be, that would probably be the only argument. It'd right? be easier not to have a gun, right? Yeah, that's um, true. Well, yeah, we just don't. I've never, never needed or even thought I might like a gun. It's not in our culture. It's, uh, yeah, lucky. I'm lucky. Yeah. There'd be some place in the world where possibly I would move away from. (laughs) But anyway. Or it's just the norm to have a gun. Like you just should have a gun in your house. That aside, there's this fellow, uh, Leonard Adlerman. He is a a very clever chap. He's done quite a fair bit of stuff. So he won in, he's one of the creators of the RSA. Uh, encryption algorithm, which is used to secure many things. In fact, where I work, we use RSA tokens to allow people to log in as a second form of authentication. Mm-hmm. Uh, we uh, He won the 2002 Turing Award for that, which is kind of like the Nobel Prize for computer nerds, yep. which is very cool. But the exciting thing here is in 1994, he demonstrated a proof of concept of a DNA computer. Right. So computer processing using DNA. Ooh. And the fascinating thing about this, it it hints on, um, there's a book called The Diamond Age by Neil Stevenson. Oh, thank goodness me, I got it right. I was going to say Eric, but it's no, no, it's Neil Stevenson. So The Diamond Age, which, which sort of talks about um, nano machinery. And DNA is kind of a nano machinery. And the really fascinating thing about DNA as a computing instance, or I guess more generally chemistry as a computing type, is that you've got to think about everything a little bit differently. The way computing happens in uh, an electronic computer is you have electrons flowing down wires and where they meet in certain circuits, depending on which side has higher voltage and which side doesn't, as to what pops out the other end. And this forms uh, binary mathematics, which can then be used to indicate... um, Actions happening, uh-huh. you know, uh, should this pixel on the screen be red or green would depend on the combination of a bunch of little electrons, how they're hitting 
the, the thing and will create a number. Uh, I'm sure you've seen this, the RGB number, which is like yeah. the, the, the red, the green, the blue factor, and then the electronics produces the color. Yes. And, and that kind of all uh, makes sense in a sense in that it's, it's this mathematics. But in chemical computing, so DNA computing, you don't have uh, nice, obvious zeros and ones on and off. Yeah. Like an electrical flow is either flowing or it's not flowing. Right. So you've got to think about things in a slightly different way. And what he demonstrated in his proof of concept back in 1994 was what's known as a the traveling salesman problem. Right. So the story goes uh, how you've got a salesman and he has to visit seven houses. Right. And the houses are connected by roads or bridges, however you want to do it. What's the most efficient way of traveling between all of these houses, crossing the roads the least number of times? So this is, you know, it's a mathematics problem. And when you only have one house, it's really easy. There's only one solution. You go across the road, the bridge that goes to the house. You've got two houses. You know, you can go from the first house to the second house, three houses, do you go to the first house, then to the second house, or to the third house, and then the second house? Right. Okay. And so you're starting to get more options in the fourth house. Now you've got four houses aligned. You get up to seven houses, and there are a lot of combinations of how you could do it. Yeah. Uh, so in the DNA computing example, he sort of said, okay, these parts of DNA are the different roots, and they connect together, like DNA likes to zip it together type thing. So... How they these fragments connect together will represent different roots, and the length of the connected chains is how long they are. And so we can sieve out the longest ones and get the bottom shortest ones, and that will give us the solution. All we have to do then is assign which house each strand of this chemistry is, and then we put it in a test tube and let it react, and then sift it out and have a look at it and it will show us the most efficient way of connecting and it's wonderful and it works yep uh, it's not very fast it took a considerable amount of time for it to, to react but the concept was there that this idea that uh, chemical or DNA sequences represent uh, abstract concepts or numbers and they react with each other differently and that will be that will give you your um, logic, which allows you to construct, um, you know, questions, let it react to find out what the solution is. Okay. And someone else, they, they, they come up with a noughts and crosses game where they had this, you know, a, a three by three grid and each of the three grid had uh, a different um, molecule, you know, concoction in it. Yeah. And so the human player would then put their um, little bit of chemical dropper into each of the, you know, into the, the, they go, I'm going to move in the top left-hand one. So they pick up the top left-hand little eyedropper to say, this is the chemical that represents moving to the top left-hand corner, drop it into all nine squares, mm-hmm. and it reacts differently in each of the nine squares. And they, they used fluorescence to indicate the square that fluoresced was the one that the computer chose to move to. Right. And it was programmed such that a human could never win. You could only have a draw, which is the case with noughts and crosses. So there was this little game. Again, it was, it's quite slow. Uh, but with DNA, because it has such a large capacity for combinations, you know, with the four proteins, adenosine, tri, 
Uh, so it's, it's I can't even remember now the G A T C G A T C. Yes, that's it. In fact, it reminds me of the movie Gattaca. I'll tell you, right, we've got to watch that sometimes. It's a fantastic movie. But uh, yeah, so just with these four combinations, you can end up with long bits of information. Yeah. So there are chemicals we know will break DNA at different points, and there are then different you know RNAs and transcriptase and so forth, which will do things. We can start putting together computers, which is sort of, again, it's different because it's a case of, okay, so here I'm going to mix up this big pile of goop. Yep. And then I'm going to take this pile of goop, which is my equation that I want solved, and I'm going to put it in this goop and we'll sit back and I'll wait for a little bit and then I'll sift it out and have a look at what the result is. Yeah. And it will have re- reacted. And as you can see with the Noughts and Crosses game, it can react in a programmed manner, showing some kind of decision yes. making. It's it's a great concept. What's more interesting these days is storage of data because of course that's what DNA does. And it makes more I think it makes more sense to use DNA not as a computer but as a storage mechanism because the entire everything that need is needed to create a human is stored in our strands of DNA and they they're so tiny that they're sitting inside each cell. And you've got to think that in one cell of me is all the information needed to create the whole of me. Yes. Uh, you try and program that into a computer and store that on a hard drive somewhere and you'd be taking up a lot of room. Yes. So, yeah, DNA is really good for that sort of thing. So maybe maybe that's a more useful... Like, uh, a DNA USB. Yeah, but it seems in this movie the aliens have taken that sort of um, chemical computing because in reality... I already know of a chemical computer that far outstrips the capabilities of any current computer, and that's our brain. Yeah. I mean, our brain is just a pile of chemistry. Yeah. It's not, um, it's, it's not microchips. There's, there's no wiring in there. There's like You could kind of argue that neurons are a bit like wires, but they're not. As much as we've tried to model the human brain in circuitry or in computer program, we can't. Yes. We have this... Uh, Artificial intelligence, neural networks, uh, don't worry about losing your job too soon to those things. Like they can, they can do specific tasks that are kind of a little bit vague, mm-hmm. better than humans. But in most things, that they just can't. And but we've got this chemical computer in our head. But imagine you could get to the point where you could create chemical computers that were not alive mm-hmm. per se. They're not aware or sentient, but are able to do the sorts of artificial intelligence processing yeah. that we're capable of doing. So if that, the, the basic thing of like, here's a photograph, uh, point out the cat. Yes. You know, or is there a cat in this picture type of thing? A human could look at it and very quickly go yes or no. And they've even got that that um, those captures. I'm sure you've done it with various times yeah. on the website. You know, click every square that has a number plate in it or has a lamp post. Yeah, and we're, I mean the thing with humans, we're even beyond something like that where we make, like watching a film like this, we can connotate meaning that is not even there. Absolutely. You know, like we we read a story and we will watch a film and we get a theme out of it. I mean, how can there's no way that our current artificial intelligence would be able to do no, that? No, but if you could construct 
this kind of computer more similar to a brain. Yeah, of course, yeah. Then yeah. you could end up with technology like the prawn have you know, spaceships able to um, perform amazing things with very little input. Yeah. You know, just really self fly so very well. Uh, and, and this leads me, of course, to this interesting concept. The little baby, Christopher Johnson's child, for example, seemed to know how to operate the ship and turn on the, the suit of armor and get the beam of light going and so forth. How could he possibly know that when he would never have seen it ever? Yes. You know, and you get the feeling he's quite young. Yeah. And this leads to genetic memory. So if we can create computers and store stuff in DNA information in DNA that they've stored like pictures and and various codes and music in DNA. Yeah. Well, why is it difficult to imagine then that in our own DNA or in some other life forms DNA there could be the instructions to create a brain that just knows certain things. Yeah, that's true. And this is a uh, well, quasi-controversial. Yeah. It's quasi-controversial because there are, there are people who sort of say, no, we only have like predispositions but everything we have to learn but then there's people who point out the um, savants who go okay here's a here's a four year old who can play the violin like a master yeah it is not they have not had the opportunity and their their mastery of musical language and notation and the concepts and mathematical uh, interrelationship of notes and music how do they know they've never learnt that a four-year-old could not have learnt that. Yeah. So there's some sort of innate knowledge of that that they're able to express. And another one they point out is the um, accidental genius. So this is where you get the case where someone has suffers brain trauma mm. and in the brain rewiring itself to work around the trauma, suddenly they can speak languages. Mm. Like they'll learn languages very quickly and speak them fluently with accent. And or there was a, a, a case here or where I want to talk about this one because it's quite... Oh, here we go. Okay, so Leslie Lemke is a musical virtuoso. Even though he's never had a music lesson in his life, uh, his musical genius erupted so early and spontaneously as an infant that it could not possibly have been learnt. Came factory installed. And then there's Alonzo Clemens, this guy. He's never had an art lesson in his life. As an infant, after head industry, in industry injury, he began to sculpt with whatever was handy, and now he's created a, now he's a celebrated sculptor who can mold a perfect specimen of any animal within with clay in an hour or less after only a single glance at the animal itself, every muscle and tendon perfectly positioned. He has had no formal training. Like that level of natural capacity, you sort of think that they're. they're you know, what is that? That must have been programmed in there. But the interesting implication which excites me about this and, and why it comes back to this film of, you know, the little child doing stuff but also of, of genetic machinery or or this chemical machinery is that the implication is that this kid, uh, Alonzo, had the capability of sculpting. Like, they didn't, the bang to the head didn't teach them sculpting. No, no. The bang to the head damaged a part of their brain and the brain had to re- rewire around. It's very highly plastic, these brains. Yeah. And in doing so, it connected novel parts of its brain together, which meant he was able to translate thoughts into physical things without having to learn how to do it. Mm. Yeah, you or I would 
take possibly uh, a lifetime of sculpting and even then not be a celebrated artist. You know, maybe maybe would be acceptable. You know, passingly good. Uh, you know, we could get a job doing uh, I don't know Wallace and Gromit cartoons. You know, like the animation part, and once we come with stories. But, but uh, that's also interesting, isn't it? That in these cases, there's a head injury. It's likewise someone that maybe is on a uh, type of drug, and it, because they're in that type of drug, they're in an altered consciousness. Mm. And in that altered consciousness, they do things that they wouldn't, I've, you know, I've seen this as well, but they wouldn't have known to do it. And in fact, I shared a little video about a guy that now now he's spent like seven or years doing it where he balances rocks. Oh, yes, and I've he seen can, that, yeah. he can, um, the way he explains is he kind of understands, gra- like he can kind of feel gravity more than maybe you and I. But he actually says when he started was he was off his face on drugs with a friend and they went down to the river and they just started doing it because I guess... His brain was not in its conscious, like he was in a, a, yeah. an altered state of consciousness, wasn't he? Yeah, so there's this interesting concept then of genetic memory and it quite possibly we all have this ability to one extent or another and maybe our process of learning allows us to connect into that. So it's not so much necessarily that it's entirely something we're learning but rather we're learning to get in touch with it and maybe though it means that if we could study it and learn it enough, perhaps we could induce this capability. Yeah. Perhaps you could go along, you get a CT scan, they go, oh, okay, mm, turns out you have the brain structures for enhanced musical capabilities. Yeah. And what we'll do is we'll just apply some magnets here, give you this, you know, drug, and... Um, baseball bat. Yeah. Just give you a whack. <laughs> yeah, just a measure, a little tap, yeah. a little tap love right tap right. with our <laughs> hammer, and then bang, you know, like you go learn the piano in a day and you're the master. You know. I don't know how to go to the toilet anymore. Yeah, <laughs> Lost the power of speech, but can play the piano like a bastard. Yeah, so I know it's very exciting, I think. And so yeah, the idea then of being able to uh, have, like there are birds, for example, which they've raised away from all other of its species in a soundproof area and it starts spontaneously to sing the same bird songs that the other birds of its species sing. I know they do terrible experiments, (laughs) but yeah, it's and that's fascinating. So, where did it learn how to sing that? But in in the case of District Nine, then could their technology, for example, when Vickers connected into that armor suit, yeah, he started to just instinctively know how to use it. Could you imagine technology that when you you pick up the item, you jump in that car or that suit or whatever, and you you let go of a bit of control of yourself, and then you just instinctively know how to use this thing you like it just connects you and that i think is a genuine possibility of this sort of chemical computing or uh you know genetic computing which which allows you to connect into these things Mm. Uh, it excites me the the whole very notion yeah it's interesting isn't it really interesting Okay, well, that kind of brings us to the end of District 9 for tonight, folks. So let us know what you thought about what we thought about District 9. You can hit us up on uh, Gravity Undone. That's where you can find the show and also some more information and reach out to us or on the socials, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, pretty much Space Brains Podcasts. If you look on any of those sites, you'll find our pages and you can reach out and let us know what you thought uh, or just Google. Yeah, so you Google us, we come up at the top. Now, are you going to take the red pill or the blue pill?
for episode fifty. Well, to help in the bedroom, I've been taking the blue pill. I know you. I know you. I know you like to take your pills before we record. But when I come here to record, it's the red pill. Right. Can I take a purple pill? It's kind of a mix of the two, one of each. Why not? Because <laughs> episode fifty is a classic, and it's the one that we keep kind of referring back to. It's very pivotal in my science fiction. Uh, it, it was a. It was a moment in science fiction history, I think. I think so. I think this thing is, this film changed it. I thought District 9, you know, some people say District 9 was actually the film, the science fiction film of this last kind of 15, 20 years. Well, I think, you know, 10 years earlier to District 9 was The Matrix. That was the thing. The Matrix. Shaped and shifted the whole industry. It, It changed advertising. It changed music videos. It changed... Every science fiction action and even comedy movie for was it's still least, doing well, it. Well, yeah, and it's still doing it now. But for for a good ten years there, probably oh, absolutely. And yeah, so we are talking about the mega blockbuster, The Matrix, by the Wachowski brothers slash sisters. I don't really want at, to get that wrong. At like, the time, they were the Wachowski brothers. brothers. Now, now I think. They're just generally referred to as the there were some Wachowski sisters, but now they're just the Wachowskis in order to. I think that's their brand name yeah, now. It is their brand name, Wachowski. Yeah. And, and there's a big story behind that. Go Google it to find out, and go watch The Matrix, and then tune in for episode fifty of Space Brains, where we interview the Wachowskis. Yes, they don't answer us back. We just interview them, which is a real shame. I keep calling them. We just literally talk to a computer screen with their pictures on. Yes, yeah, right, that's what I want to admit. Well, the good thing in a podcast is no camera, so you know. <laughs> Apart from sorry, it was a good camera, but you know. Yeah, it's a camera, but it just films me. Don't worry about it. Okay. okay. All right. We'll catch you later. Bye. Bye.